This chapter contains depictions of sexual violence. Listener discretion is advised. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Chapter 2 The Man with the Spring Heels Year 20 BTW Before the Wizard It was a cool evening in the city of Nitfis. Melinda and Roman sat in their modest home. Melinda was reading the latest novel by a local writer she adored. She started the book earlier in the day and was nearly halfway through it now. It was full of intrigue and romance, but more romance than intrigue. The kind of story that housewives read while their husbands were away working in the fields or hammering away in the mills. Roman was sitting comfortably in his chair. He was staring at a little bonsai tree resting on a small table in front of him. He had a pair of shears and was meticulously trimming and pruning the plant. His days were spent smithing and pounding iron and steel, working over a hot forge. Though his days were long and strenuous, his nights were short and relaxing. He had seven small trees, and every night after a hearty meal, he would work on a different one. As he placed the shears to one of the tree's delicate branches, he found himself startled by a loud knocking on the door. His hands inadvertently clenched together, causing him to accidentally clip the wrong branch. He drew a deep breath and looked down, watching as the small branch fell to the floor. His heart sank at the thought of the irreparable damage done. Guilt washed over him as if he had just hurt a small child. His own small child. He was not angered by the misfortune, but frustrated nonetheless. He looked at Melinda, who was looking at him in return. She was curious to see what he would do, or hear what he would say. He did nothing, and said nothing. Who in Oz would be knocking so late in the evening? asked Melinda. Roman stood up and walked to the door, keeping his silence. Upon opening it, he was greeted by the friendly, accented voice of a complete and total stranger. Hello, said the enthusiastic voice. It was not a familiar accent. Whoever it was must have traveled a great distance to end up at their door. Can I help you? asked Roman, less than enthusiastically. As a matter of fact, you can, answered the man. Roman looked him up and down cautiously. The man was the exact opposite of himself. He was tall and gaunt. His clothing was sharp and stylish, 
A long, black coat fell over his shoulders and hung low, almost to the ground. His shoes were black wingtips and shined to the point that even the slightest glow from the moon reflected on them brightly. In one hand, the man held a bag, much like you would expect a doctor to carry. It was matte black leather with a shining silver handle. In the other hand was a cane. The cane had an oddly shaped brass top. It appeared to be the head of a strange creature. But Roman could not quite make out what the creature was, due to the man's hand clenching it. His pale skin made his sleek black hair, combed to one side with the utmost precision, seem that it was that much darker. On his face, he sported a small, well-groomed, well-kept handlebar mustache. My name, the man continued rather jauntily, is Reginald. He smiled and held out his hand for Roman to shake, allowing his cane to fall and rest against his hip. Roman cautiously accepted the gesture as he took notice of the cane's handle. The head of a serpent. I do hate to bother you, but I seem to have lost my coin purse somewhere in this fine city of yours. Understandable, yet still unfortunate, none of the inns will accept a note of good faith as payment until I can better look for it when the sun returns and blesses us with new light. As Roman opened his mouth to tell the man he had no money to give, Melinda appeared behind him. Roman? Who is it? she asked congenially. Reginald is the name, my dear lady, said the visitor, still standing outside in the moon's light. As he looked her up and down, he felt a small tingling sensation all over his body. She had a kind of innocence in her beauty. A kind of youth. Melinda was petite. She almost looked like a child in some respects. The respects that Reginald found the most intriguing. Her light blonde hair was so short it hardly even covered her ears, causing the lower half of her earlobes to be visible. Her eyes were hazel in coloration, bright, and when the light hit them just right, they were almost more green than anything. They were full of life and happiness, even upon greeting a stranger in the night. Reginald held out a hand, and Melinda took it without hesitation and shook. His hands were clammy, but she did not seem to notice. Her hands were, by contrast, warm and soft, a trait Reginald noticed right away. At the feeling of her warmth, the tingling sensation grew, and Reginald found himself subtly shifting his stance in order to avoid any outwardly embarrassment. It seems he's lost his coin purse, said Roman, still looking at Reginald. 
Oh? Melinda asked. Well, we don't really have any money that we can lend you for the night. Reginald solemnly looked down at his feet. I really hate to be an imposition to you, he said coyly. But perhaps you could invite me in, and I could take refuge in a spare bedroom, or even on the floor for the night. Roman looked at Melinda. She was oblivious to his own air of caution. Of course, she said. As it just so happens, we do have a spare bedroom. Would you come in? Why, thank you, said Reginald, lifting his left foot from the ground, pressing forward across the threshold of the front door. Before his foot could touch down inside the house, Roman put out a large, sturdy hand and lightly pushed him back. Reginald's foot landed once again outside the door as he stumbled slightly. Roman, asked Melinda, what are you doing? He looked at his wife. We don't know this man. Letting a stranger into our home during the day is one thing. Letting one in at night is something else entirely let alone to sleep under our roof. Roman, said Melinda sternly. This man simply needs a room for the night. How can you be so untrusting? How can you be so callous? My dear, interjected Reginald, your husband is right. I do not blame him for not taking in a transient so late in the evening and I am certainly not offended or perturbed by his actions. So neither should you be. I shall take my leave now, but thank you for your time. He shifted his gaze from Roman to Melinda, and thank you for your hospitality and generosity anyway. Before turning to walk away, Reginald nodded his head politely as his mouth bore a smile that bordered a sinister grin. Roman turned back into the house only to see Melinda staring at him with a look of fiery, scolding shame. He knew this look. It was a look that reminded him of why he loved her so much in the first place. Her sense of compassion was something not many people had something he always felt more people should have. Even himself. Fine, said Roman, almost begrudgingly, before turning his sights back on to Reginald, who had since started to walk away. You can room here for the night. Reginald turned around and smiled. He almost even jumped for joy at the turn of events. Thank you. Thank you so much. One night is all I need. And with that, he stepped inside. As Roman and Melinda led their guest to their living quarters, the husband and wife duo noticed that Reginald walked with a severe limp and leaned heavily on his cane. 
At one point, he spotted Melinda examining his walking pattern and simply smiled. Sorry, said Melinda, shamefully looking away and at her own feet. No worries, replied the lodger. At this point, I have lived with this limp longer than I have lived without it. It is a rather dull story, really. One I shall not bother you with the details of. Suffice it to say, I am used to the looks, and rest assured, they do not offend me in the least. The three of them sat by the fire in the living quarters of the house. Reginald looked around the room and noticed the small trees. I see you are a bit of a green thumb, he said, glancing at Melinda. Oh, no, she replied with a slight giggle. The trees are Romans. Oh, replied Reginald, with a small bit of shock before turning his attention to his other, more masculine host. Nothing quite like the satisfaction of knowing you are caring for something and keeping it alive. He looked around a little more. No children? We can't conceive, said Melinda. Mel, said Roman, sternly looking at her. He doesn't need to know that. Roman, replied Melinda, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Sometimes people just can't. She looked at Reginald before continuing. Roman has a daughter in Ildayed. I am unable to conceive. So sorry to hear that, said Reginald sympathetically. No need to apologize, said Melinda. If something is meant to be, then it will happen. If something is not meant to be, then who are we to question the desires of the gods? That is a very eloquent way of putting a rather morose disposition, said Reginald thoughtfully, with just a hint of sorrow in his voice. Morose? asked Melinda. If you look at something with tragic eyes, then certainly it is to be considered a tragedy. If you look at something with the bright eyes of faith and love, then there is no such thing as tragedy. Spoken like a true poet, said Reginald. A woman after my own heart, indeed. Oh, are you a writer? asked Melinda. She glanced at Roman, who was still sitting quietly in his chair. He was obviously not welcoming this conversation, but he was happy to see it had progressed beyond the deeply personal notes. A writer indeed, said Reginald. A teacher, a poet, and a grand storyteller. He raised his hands in a large, circular sweeping motion around grand storyteller. Melinda smiled and giggled a little at the way Reginald lit up with excitement. I travel the land in search of good stories to hear and great stories to tell. Perhaps you could grace us with a story for the evening, then? asked Melinda wantonly. I would love nothing more, answered Reginald. 
as it just so happens, I have been working on one in particular. Well, you with the heart of a poet and the eyes of a reader. He glanced down at the book resting on the small table beside her seat. Perhaps you could help me finish it. Oh? Melinda answered bashfully. I don't, I, I don't know about that. Nonsense, my dear Melinda. In fact, I have concluded that only you can help me come to my next conclusion. Melinda looked at Roman, who was glaring at her with stern eyes. You don't really think Reginald, who might I add has been nothing but polite since his arrival at our door, and walks with a limp, as soon as the words left her mouth, she immediately felt ashamed of herself. She quickly looked at Reginald. Sorry. I... I did not mean... I'm so sorry. No worries, replied Reginald genially, as he looked at Melinda before glancing at Roman. I assure you, I have not the capacity to do any wrong by you. Roman's mood seemed to lift. His wife was right. Reginald was not an imposing figure in the slightest. He had been nothing short of a gentleman since his arrival. And even if he did have sinister thoughts, he appeared to be rather limited in movement and muscle. Reginald may have had a good four inches on his host, but Roman was a good hundred pounds heavier, almost all of which was pure muscle. You're right, he said shamefully before turning his eyes to Reginald. I apologize. Once again, no worries. So, what's this story about? asked Melinda, giddy with excitement at the thought of writing. Well, said Reginald, so far it is about a man. A stranger, wandering the lonely countryside, in search of some sort of meaning in his life. His travels take him from farmstead to farmstead, village to village, city to city. Along the way, he meets all sorts of colorful locals, and helps them to solve whatever problems ailed them. Like a traveling angel? asked Melinda. Reginald sat up and looked at his host for a moment, as though he had been struck with an epiphany. Exactly. Like a traveling angel. In fact, we should call him that. An angel. Shouldn't you be writing this down? asked Roman gruffly. Oh, yes, of course, said Reginald as he looked down at his bang. He unbuttoned a large flap that not only kept the contents from spilling out, but concealed as well. You know, the thing about angels, he said as he rifled through his bag, is that some... Uh, gosh, where is it? Ah, here it is. Are actually devils in disguise. 
Melinda suddenly felt a wave of unease wash over her. Roman tensed up, moving his feet closer to the base of his chair, readying to jump if necessary. They both watched as Reginald pulled a knife from his bag. It was shinier than his shoes, and infinitely sharper as well. The blade was not long, but it was not incredibly short either. I find that five inches is usually enough to satisfy, said Reginald, looking at the blade. Would you agree, Roman? He asked as he glanced at his host. How about you, Mel? Five inches is enough, is it not? He turned to Melinda and watched as she squirmed uneasily in her seat. Roman sat still, trying to assess the situation, trying to think of the best course of action. As heroic scenarios ran through Roman's head, Reginald sprang into action, leaping from his chair like a cheetah taking down a gazelle. He plunged the knife into Roman's right shoulder with one hand as he gripped his victim's neck with the other. Melinda nearly fell to the floor as she stumbled out of her own chair and backed away, putting distance between herself and the violence. She opened her mouth, but found she could not emit even the slightest scream. Reginald stared into Roman's eyes. He held a firm grip on the handle of the knife as he smiled. Roman reached up with his left hand, gripping Reginald's other hand as he struggled to break free of the chokehold. It was the fact that he was sitting, and Reginald was not only standing, but towering over him, that kept him from successfully removing Reginald's hand from around his throat. I love it, said Reginald, through tightly gritted teeth now completely immersed in the depths of Roman's deep eyes. When they fill with fear. Roman's feet kicked wildly as Reginald tightened his grip on his neck. His face became a deep purple as oxygen was prevented from entering or escaping his body. His left hand fell limp and his kicks became weaker by the second. A thick, clucking and gurgling noise forced its way through Roman's mouth as his tongue began to take on a life all its own, seemingly fighting for its own survival. Reginald kept his unflinching eyes locked on those of his victims. He let go of his neck, allowing Roman much-needed air. He gasped and coughed as the color returned to his face. He tried to clench his left fist, tried to swing it into Reginald's face, but it was no use. He was too weak. Melinda watched in stunned horror from across the room as Reginald reached around and pulled a second identical blade from a small sheath on his back. Before Roman even had a chance to register what Reginald was doing, the second knife was plunged deep into his left shoulder. Both arms fell limp at his sides, as Reginald shuddered in sick, euphoric pleasure. Oh, 
you were right to be wary of the visitor at your door. I just want you to know that, Reginald continued as he looked deeper into the fear-filled eyes of Roman, as tears began to flow from them. He twisted both wrists inward, resulting in two loud pops. Roman let out a loud, guttural scream, the first sound he was able to make since the beginning of the assault. Reginald matched Roman's scream with one of his own as he climbed on top of him, straddling him with surreal flexibility. He pressed his body against Roman as he leaned his entire body inward. He felt a warm explosion in his pants at the height of his and Roman's screams. Reginald's knees became weak, and for a moment he was vulnerable, as he shuddered once again. It was a vulnerability that was missed by Melinda. He shuddered once more as he pulled the knives from Roman's shoulders. He turned his attention to Melinda and studied her face for a moment before speaking. Shock and fear filled her eyes as well. Wheezy gasps of air were all she could force from her dry mouth. I know what you are thinking, said Reginald, as he climbed off Roman, casually wiping the blood from his knives on the arms of Roman's chair. Right now, you are asking yourself if you should run and save your life, or stay and fight to save your husband's. Melinda remained silent. He was right. That was what she was thinking. She looked at his cane on the floor. Despite seeing him jump from his seat with all the finesse and agility of a lion, she still thought that maybe, if she could beat him to it and grab it, Perhaps he would be unable to give chase. It is simply theatrics, my dear, Reginald said as he caught her stolen glance at his cane. I find people are more willing to invite a cripple into their home. Melinda remained silent as she continued to stare at Reginald. The cane was her only idea and it was a useless one. Do not let my words fall on deaf ears, my pretty. You cannot save your husband's life, and running will do you no good in the slightest. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Melinda asked quietly, as tears streamed down her now red cheeks. Because, answered Reginald, it is in the story. This is what the story calls for. A conflict. A villain. A lover. He casually placed both knives in his bag. He then pulled out two rolls of white cloth bandages. 
Without looking at Melinda, he began to bandage Roman's bleeding shoulders. Melinda, be a dear and wait for me in the bedroom. She remained silent, watching as Reginald meticulously tended to Roman's wounds. Her husband was still breathing. The bedroom, Reginald said sternly, before affixing his gaze on her. You know, down the hall, third door on the right. He smiled slyly as he recollected nights of silently moving throughout the house. A ghost, a specter, a grim reaper. Listening to his prey make love, watching them sleep. Indeed, he had been in this house many times before. And after tonight, never more. Melinda looked at her dying husband. He nodded to let her know it was all right, that whatever she needed to do to keep herself alive was what he wanted her to do. She slowly turned and started toward the bedroom. On the bed, said Reginald, before she was out of the room, completely nude. And do not bother trying to escape through the windows. I have taken the liberty of nailing them shut. Melinda shuddered at the words, completely nude, before silently making her way to the bedroom. Once stripped of her clothing, she took her place on the bed and waited. The room was dark and silent. It now took on the same chill as the out-of-reach, outside world. She heard a scraping sound down the hall and listened nervously as it grew louder and louder before stopping at the bedroom door. The house grew silent, save for the sound of her own shallow breathing as she tried to remain as quiet as possible. The silence was maddening. The room began to spin and her heart felt like it would burst from within her chest. The world began to fade, but before all consciousness could be lost, the door swung open with a loud bang, bringing her back to her new, sordid reality. She remained still as Reginald dragged Roman, now tied to his chair, into the room and placed him in the corner, facing the bed. Reginald let out a small, yet exhaustive breath as he turned to see Melinda obediently lying on the bed. In his head, she was almost the personification of the word perfection. Her light blonde hair could be just a little shorter. She could have been slightly better groomed with a clean shave between the legs, and her already small breasts were still a little too large for his liking. He admired the curves of her body, her thin yet somewhat muscular arms, her legs lean and her stomach flat, save for two small bumps where the bottom of her ribcage pressed out ever so slightly. Beautiful, he said as he took off his coat. 
Absolutely beautiful. Belinda turned her head slightly and watched in silence as Reginald undressed. He removed his long coat and folded it neatly before setting it on a small table near the window. He unbuttoned his shirt and folded it in the same manner. He removed his shoes and uniformly rolled up each sock before placing them in their wing-tipped homes. He removed his pants and, true to form, folded them with the same precision as his coat before placing them on the table as well. He had no undergarments, only a rather long and large erection. I know I said five inches was enough, said Reginald, looking down at himself. But some things are simply out of my control. Melinda swallowed with fear and disgust. She could feel every muscle in her body tightening and contracting at once. Reginald delighted in the transformation, the sight of the tension building beneath her soft flesh. She watched him carefully as he approached the bed. His entire body was so white it almost glowed in the moon's light as it drifted in through the window. His body was covered in scars of various shapes and sizes. Some were long slashes, while others were nothing more than small lumps of soft, puffed flesh. A thin scar wrapped around his waistline. Melinda could not tell, but wondered if it traveled completely around his body, and curiously wondered how he got it. He now stood beside the bed, looking down at his soon-to-be lover, as he so wrongly put it. His hands started at his shoulders and slowly slid down his body, feeling each individual scar until he found his erection in his hands. He looked down at Melinda. Not to worry, my dear. I will not kill you, he said, as he gently took his place beside her. He placed his hand over her face and slid it down. His middle and ring fingers caught her eyelids and closed them. Melinda slipped out of consciousness as the violence unfolded upon her. Taken into a surreal darkness where she felt nothing and everything at once. A sickening blind, out-of-body experience. She could feel his clammy hands on her, in her. She could sense the intrusion, the deep violation. It was painful and repulsive, paralyzed in a dark void, every touch, every hit, every cut, and every scratch brought immense pain. It all felt somehow distant, yet reprehensibly close at the same time. It was as though her soul was trying to escape the torment, while her body was unable. Angry and alone, 
weak and powerless. A vast, unknowable shame enveloped her body, wrapping itself around her like a thousand greasy snakes nesting in her once comforting bed. There was no shame to be felt here, though. Not on her part. This was not her fault. Not her fault. The ordeal felt like an eternity as she continued to sink into the darkness, and then a disgusting, vile heat. Somewhere in the muffled distance, she could hear Reginald screaming. It was the same scream he made earlier in the evening while attacking Roman. Everything hurt. Every muscle was tight. She felt a cramp in her left leg, muscles knotting up in pain. She could feel herself fighting to breathe fighting to catch her panicked breath, but her lungs were being crushed by the weight of not only her physical, but psychological captor. Her head felt like it was going to explode, and her body felt like it was on fire. Mentally and physically exhausted, her eyelids felt heavy, as though some unseen malevolent force was pushing down on them. Reginald pulling down on them. She fought desperately to open them, fearing the monster that lay on top of her. Despite her best efforts, the world remained dark. The muffled sounds became faded before growing silent altogether. The sick smell of Reginald's sex lingered momentarily before disappearing into the now stagnant air of the bedroom. The world she once loved disappeared completely. The safety she once felt gone. Melinda was lost to the darkness. When she awoke, Reginald was gone. His cane, with its sterling silver serpent's head, sat in place of his now absent stack of neatly folded clothes. Beside it was Roman, still tied to his chair. His eyes had been gouged out, his chest split open with surgical precision. His ribcage cracked and opened with everything he had inside on display and neatly resting in their places, like skillfully stacked books on a library shelf. Nine months after the brutal home invasion, the murder of her husband, her rape. Melinda gave birth to a child in the basement of a shelter for the insane. 
she wanted nothing to do with it, refusing to even give it a name. It was sold to the highest bidder, never to see its mother or know of the tragic and violent chain of events that led to its existence. <laughs>